everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. Well, friends, this is episode 232 of Sorta Awesome. And can we just take a minute to tell you on this Valentine's Day that we love, yes, actually really truly do love our community of awesome. Now, some of you are brand new awesomes. And if you are, we are so glad that you found the podcast and our community. Some of you, bless your hearts, have been here since the beginning. But no matter when you joined us in this mission to make the world just a little bit more awesome, we are so glad that you are here. We hope that this Valentine's Day, or honestly, whenever you're listening to this episode, that you'll give yourselves a big hug and a big squeeze from all of us here at Sorta Awesome. Okay, like I said, this is episode 232. I'm joined this week by my longtime friend, longtime co-host, and recent fellow sufferer of sickness. <laughs> don't, don't make no, have we can't laugh. We can't laugh. Sorry. <laughs> Rebecca Hopper of simplyrebecca.com. Rebecca. You're out of the hospital. You were you had I'm a little out of the hospital. You for Pete's a... sakes, I was in the hospital. You had a little scary moment there. A little, a little pass out. Little ended up in the ER. But you're you're home. You're convalescing. You're on the tail end of pneumonia, right? Yes, I am feeling better every day. Thank you for all the well wishes that people sent my way. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm just Ugh. weakling with the cough. You can hear that I sound terrible. I actually sound worse than I feel. I got a head cold last week and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I have bronchitis again. Remember last time I had bronchitis, I ended up in the hospital. So I actually went to the doctor because I was like, if this is bronchitis, please just give me medication so I can get on with my life. She looked at me, checked me out, asked me a bunch of questions. She was like, nope, it's just a cold. <laughs> I was like, great. So annoying. So annoying. Well, Rebecca and I were talking off mic that we're deeply regretful. <laughs> we're really, really, really regretful of a decision we made last fall. <laughs> that was the dumbest thing we've ever done. We will literally never do that again. Last fall, Rebecca and I, in a much brighter, cheerier, <laughs> healthier place, thought it would be really fun and cool and helpful maybe to some people to record an episode about surviving the sixth season. And no one has felt it more than we have, I feel like. Lies. It was all lies. You know what happened to me when I was sick? I just laid there. None of those home remedies were served to me. I just laid yeah. there in my deathbed and wallowed in my sorrow. Well, I've been trying. <laughs> I've been throwing everything at everything that I can. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I mean... I obviously had no idea what I was talking about. This is truly the sickest year I've had in a long time. For sure here also. My kids have been spared, but my husband and I oh, have good. both been through the ringer this year. Mm. We're never going to record a podcast well, about sick tips ever, ever again. Never. No. We should honestly go just take that out of the archives and pretend like it never happened. Yes! We need to delete <laughs> it today. Well... Since Rebecca and I have been sick, we both have been watching a lot of TV programming, some things that we maybe wouldn't have normally had time to get to, except for the fact that we have been sick in bed. 
we have a list of things that we've been watching lately that we're just into. And frankly, we want to talk about them. So we're going to share those with you here in just a little bit. But first, Rebecca, let's do a go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It is that moment in the show where we talk about the books or the TV shows, movies, podcasts, products, just whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome right now, even when we are not feeling great. Rebecca, I can't wait to hear what you have this week. Well, my Awesome of the Week is something that I have been testing for maybe close to a year, if not at least several months. I really wanted to give a good go before I presented it to the Awesomes, even though the moment I heard about it, I thought the Awesomes have to hear about this. It is the app called Hormonology. It's a hormone horoscope app. It is free. There's a paid version, but I just use the free version. I first heard about this from Crystal Payne, you know, money-saving mom. She mentioned it on her Instagram stories, and I've been testing it out. Basically, it tracks the different hormone levels that the female body goes through during your monthly cycles and gives you a prediction of how you might be feeling because of those different hormone levels. So for example, I am in day 24 of my cycle today, which means that my estrogen levels are dipping. And here's just a small part of my hormone horoscope for today. Okay. Careful of taking something someone says, does, or posts online the wrong way. Plunging estrogen can make you a tad touchy and pessimistic, a combination that can have you jumping to the wrong conclusion and making you mistakenly believe an insult has been hurled your way. Yep. Helpful advice. (laughs) That is helpful advice. Yes. And again, this is just a very small portion of the information that is provided on a daily basis in this Hormonology Hormone Horoscope app. So I don't use this app every day or even every week, if I'm honest, but there have been plenty of times when I am having just an off day. And I check the app, and sure enough, there's a change in my hormone levels that can help me explain my mood. Now, it's not all hormones that are maybe making me grumpy or stressed or tired or even energized, but they certainly do make a difference. And it has been really insightful and fun to see it confirmed for me how I'm feeling in this app. So now this app will not work for pregnant women. It doesn't work for women without periods, whether that's for menopause reasons or medical reasons or birth control reasons. And it won't work with women with inconsistent periods either. Like if you are going four months at a time without a period, it really is just best for menstruating women who are curious about their hormones or if you feel like maybe you're extra sensitive to hormone level changes and you want an app to help you pay attention to that. So again, I have the free version, which I've been very happy with. It's called Hormonology, and it's just been fascinating. I can't believe it gives you all that information for free. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't even know what the paid version offers, if I'm completely honest. Maybe I'm missing out on even more. I don't know. I'm like opening up my phone and putting it on my phone literally right now. And also I'm going to make a suggestion to my 15-year-old daughter. Maybe she might like to check it out. I can't directly tell her, of course, because then she'd be like, no. (laughs) But this sounds extremely helpful. So thank you for that, Rebecca. Yes. What is your awesome of the week? Well, my awesome of the week is a podcast. It is a limited series true crime podcast that I listened to over just a few days last week, and it was so good. And I am still thinking about it. So the name of the podcast is Your Own Backyard. Oh, it is. I'm instantly creeped out. (laughs) 
Well, I'll tell you what. It's not as creepy as the title sounds, but it is about a very tragic and intriguing case. It's about the disappearance of Kristen Smart. I don't know if you remember this, Rebecca, because I know you're five-ish years younger than me, so this may not have really hit on your radar when this happened. But Kristen Smart was a freshman at California Polytechnical State University, which goes by Cal Poly for short. Um, She was a freshman who disappeared on May 25th of 1996. And she has never been found. Her body has never been found, although she was legally presumed dead on May 25th of 2002. So this podcast, like I said, it's a limited series. There's six main episodes. It was created and it's hosted by a man named Chris Lambert, who's from San Luis Obispo area, which is where Cal Poly is. He's younger than us. He's like in his, I feel like he's in his maybe early thirties. I think he said he was in second grade when Kristen disappeared, but he got really, really into this case. And like, why has her killer never been found? Why has her body never been found? So it's really, really well done. I have heard good things about this podcast. I vaguely remembered the Kristen Smart case because when she disappeared, May 25th, 1996, she was finishing her freshman year of college. I had just finished my freshman year of college. And so I was definitely on my radar. I tuned into the podcast, which it came out last fall, but it's like, it's had a big resurgence in popularity. I think because there's been actually some really recent developments in this case. that's like, really? Like almost 24 years old. And so as people are like starting to talk about Kristen Smart's case, this podcast is climbing the charts. I think it's like right now, maybe like number seven in all of podcasts. Oh, wow. In Apple Podcasts, which I just, I'm like cheering for Chris Lambert over here because this is a totally independent podcast. It's not by any of the major networks. He quit his job to put this podcast together full time. From a production standpoint, I was super impressed listening to it because I know how very difficult narrative and documentary style podcasting is to create. He has a co-producer, but he like, this is his vision, his project that he's brought to life. And I think that my very favorite thing about this podcast, Your Own Backyard, is that Chris does a really great job of centering the whole series on Kristen herself. And in true crime, unfortunately, that is not always the case. A lot of the time, true crime stories focus on the perpetrator of violence, the criminal, and the victims are kind of sidelined. But the whole first episode is this beautiful like tribute to Kristen. He goes out and spends time with Kristen's parents who were like surprised, but, you know, excited that this young guy who's really interested in the case wants to really focus in on Kristen's story and what could have happened to her. He does really compassionate, very interesting interviews. Something else I found out because I'd love to listen to the credits of podcasts. He did all original music for the podcast. Oh, oh my goodness. What a talented fellow. Goodness sakes. Yes, he's super talented. So I will say this is a true crime series that's totally fine, even for highly sensitive types like myself. There's absolutely nothing gory or gross or really even like super disturbing. If you're familiar with the big picture of the case, which is that Kristen Smart was a freshman in, in college and after a night out with friends, disappeared, has never been seen again. He does a fantastic job of zeroing in on who the main suspect is and how this person has never been apprehended. So at times it's very frustrating. It's very infuriating at sometimes. But his approach to the whole story is just so touching and so well done. So like I said, this podcast is having a big surge in popularity. If you're looking for a limited series, some really great storytelling, I highly, highly recommend Your Own Backyard. You can find it in all of the places where you find your podcasts. I will certainly check that out. Thank you so much for that recommendation. Sounds great. Yes, that's a good one. 
Okay, well, those are our awesomes of the week this week, you guys. As always, we love to hear what is awesome in your life. So like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can come check us out on Instagram. That's sort of awesome show. We have awesome of the week thread every Friday over there. And of course, in our sort of awesome Facebook group every Friday, we're talking about what's awesome in your life. I can't tell you how many things have come into my life via the awesome of the week thread in the hangout group. So again, I know I keep saying this, but you guys make 2020 the year that you come join us on Facebook. I know Facebook isn't the greatest place in the world right now. It's an election year here in the United States. It's a little tense, but just who cares? Put that feed killer Chrome extension on, yes. on, your, on your browser. And then when you open up Facebook, you don't see any of the ugly stuff. You can come hang out with us in the Hangout group. So if Let you haven't done that. be a bright spot. Yes. I promise that we will be. I promise you will have so much fun if you can come over and join us over there. So you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. All right, Rebecca, you and I have accumulated quite a list, each of us have, of things that we want to talk to the awesomes about, some actual things we've been really into watching. I know you have some almost like updates on shows that you've mentioned on the past on Sorta Awesome that you have seen new seasons and you have thoughts. I've got a couple of movies and a series. And then we also have some things that we're watching together because, listen, spoiler, we're going to be talking about The Bachelor eventually. Yay! <laughs> Because it is bachelor season and Rebecca and I are both watching. So we'll get there eventually. But Rebecca, why don't you kind of kick us off with one of the first things that you wanted to share with the awesomes that you've been watching as you have been recovering from the great sickness hurricane of 2020. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I certainly have been watching a lot. My first show that I'm going to talk about, I watched in December, though, and that is Younger, specifically season six. This okay. is a series that is on TV land. And then the previous past seasons you can watch on Hulu. So Younger was an awesome of the week for me, I think multiple times. I cannot stop talking about how much I love this show. If you're new and haven't heard me gush about it, it is about Liza, who is recently divorced in her 40s, but she's pretending to be in her 20s because she's struggling to get a job. Nobody wants to hire her. They consider her overly qualified. So she pretends to be in her 20s to get this job in this book publishing world. She ends up dating a man who's in his 20s who believes that she also is in her 20s. But while at work, she develops a crush on her boss, Charles, who, of course, is more age appropriate for her. And... Season six finally came to Hulu in December. I was so thrilled to watch it. Now, here's how one thing that we failed to say about how we're going to be running this show, this, this show, Meg, right? So yes. uh, sort of awesome. We tend to be extremely sensitive about spoilers because, oh, yes. you know, our co-host Kelly, she's watching shows like decades later, right? <laughs> yes, like, We're kind of just sensitive. We don't want to ruin it for anybody. At any moment, right. somebody might jump on this bandwagon. And, you yes. know, we don't want to ruin it for anybody. So how we're going to talk about these shows, and I apologize, we should have said this before I started in my spiel with Younger yeah. here, but we're going to give kind of a spoiler-free introduction to the show, anything that we have to say about it that is spoiler-free, and then we will do a spoiler alert. And so if you have not watched season six yet of Younger, now is your chance that you can, you know, skip ahead until you hear us talking about a new show. But we yeah. are going to be diving into some spoilers, which even just saying that just like gives me a little bit of anxiety in my chest because we just don't do that here on Sword Awesome. 
We don't. I mean, spoilers are very unawesome. Also, I feel like this is manifesting some Enneagram 6 concerns for you, (laughs) some anxieties for you, but it's okay. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Well, that's okay. Make liberal use of the skip button. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go after Rebecca. So just skip ahead till you hear my crazy stuffy voice and then you'll know that spoilers are over. Yes. Okay. So that's how we're going to be running the rest of this show. But here we are now. We're going to be getting a little bit more into the spoils of season six of Younger and just the show as a whole. So season five of Younger, I believe, was one of the best seasons of the entire show. Oh, wow. We had the love triangle between Liza and Josh and Charles was finally over as Liza and Charles decided to be together. And in fact, you know, he gives up his position in the publishing company in order to avoid any of the controversy that may come from them being together. And that's how season five ended. But then season six came and it just, uh, it just fell flat for me. It just did not work for me. Oh, shoot. And this is why. So I believe it was Jamie Golden on the podcast was talking in one of their episodes about her theory on how relationships in a sitcom or in a TV series, they just don't really work. In movies, they work, but in a series, they don't. And her theory is Mm -hmm. that all of the tension and the buildup and the, the excitement of a relationship It comes from those early days of like the sexual tension and is she going to, is he going to, is it going to happen or is it not? And then once they're together, we get bored and it just lacks the excitement. And then there needs to be conflict and the conflict of them like breaking up. And then it's just like the cycle where in a movie we can have that satisfying ending of them coming together and be like, okay, and now they're going to live forever. And we don't have the opportunity to get bored with it. Because it's a movie and it's over. It's so funny that you said that because that's going to play directly into some thoughts I have about a show that I'm going to be talking about here in a little bit, but I'm totally tracking with you. And your books are that way too, of course, because there's predictable like beginning, middle, end. And when it's done, you close the book. And as far as you know, they lived happily ever after and everything was fine. Exactly. So, yeah. But now in season six of Younger, Liza and Charles are together and it is boring. I just don't like it. So Younger is a very, like, sexy, edgy, funny show. But Liza and Charles, when they're actually together, like, officially together, in season six, they're not sexy. Like, we don't Mm. have any of that, like, deep passion that Younger is so known for. None of that is happening. And for some reason for me, Liza's youthful energy feels really childish to me next to Charles, where Mm. with Josh, it felt fun. Yeah. I like Liza so much less with Charles. I just feel like she seems immature and naive Mm. and childish. But for some reason, that energy with Josh, it's youthful. It's exciting. It's fun. And it's sexy. And it's just not translating for me with Charles. And then so much of the storyline was about Charles leaving his publishing company and Kelsey taking over. And I just don't care about the business. Like, I'm in it for the relationships, even the friendships. Like, I'm in it for the friendships, too. Not just, like, all the hubba bubba stuff. But, like, I just don't care about the business. So I'm definitely going to watch season seven because I'm still a huge fan of this show. Yeah. But season six just wasn't great. Oh, man, that's such a bummer because I know you love that show so much. I started it at some point and got distracted and have not gone back to it. It's still on my very long list of things I want to get to. 
But that is such a bummer when you, especially since you were waiting and waiting for it to come out. And then, yeah. Yes. So it has been renewed for a seventh season. Okay. And like I said, I will be watching it. And I predict that they're going to have a downfall between Charles and Liza because that's just the cycle that a series has to take when it comes to relationships, I believe. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to shuffle my list around so I can continue on with that theme of something that I've been watching. I had actually hoped to have this whole thing watched <laughs> by the time we recorded. It's the last season of The Office. Season nine of The Office. I never watched it. I actually- Oh, you never watched it? No. I actually don't think I even watched season seven and eight. I don't really have a, a firm memory of that. But I know for sure I never watched the last season and I never have seen the finale. And I was thinking, like, why did I not finish this? I was a huge Office fan when it was, you know, in real time production a long time ago when we didn't have streaming and you, you still watched shows every night when they came on. Right. I loved mm -hmm. The Office. And I was thinking, why did I not finish it? Well, as it turns out, as I'm doing a little digging and starting to watch it, this season aired in 2012, 2013, which is the time of my life when I was getting ready to have and then had twins. And so uh, a little yes. distracted, a little tired. The black hole of twin life. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So I have never finished The Office. And I was like, oh, I'll put it on this list because I started watching it when I was sick. And but then I was like, I forgot these network shows are like 22 and 23 episodes for a season. I forgot how long these seasons are. So I'm slowly making my way, watching a little here and a little there, trying to bring my office watching to its natural conclusion at the end of season nine, which ended in 2013. But speaking of what you were talking about, one of the things that does happen in season nine of The Office, and I don't care if people are concerned about being spoiled, this came out seven years ago, so. <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Kelly, spoiler <laughs> alert. Everybody else knows this already happened a long time ago. But Jim and Pam, of course, are the central couple of The Office. Did you like The Office, Rebecca? I feel like we've never talked about I this. I did. Yes, okay. I did. I watched all the way through. Okay. So Jim and Pam, as we get into season nine, they actually really confront that thing of like the season opener of season nine. Pam makes some comment like, this is our life. Nothing exciting is ever going to happen again. Like really kind of this meta commentary, like we have, we're married, we have two kids and now this is what we do. So one of the driving story arcs of season nine of The Office is trouble in Jim and Pam's marriage, which I think you're right, Rebecca, that this is a relationship that was so filled with tension. So will they or won't they in the early seasons of the show? And then they do get married and then, you know, some normal life stuff. But after a while, it is kind of boring. So I think in the last season, they really shook things up with Jim making some decisions about his job, like going to work for a startup and Pam possibly, you know, having feelings for one of the camera guys and he had feelings for her and like all this stuff, all of these plot points that bring in some of that tension right at the very end as they're finishing up the office. I don't know quite what I think of it yet. It's weird because there's new characters. And so that takes a little getting used to. But at the same time, I was telling Kyle last night, he walked through as I was watching, he was like, you're watching The Office again? I was like, I've never seen this season. This is like brand new TV to me. <laughs> Hence further reinforcing why we're so sensitive about spoilers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because you never know. Seven years later, someone's watching it. So anyway, it is funny. And I missed it. I missed the, you know, definitely the awkwardness, the humor, all of the things that The Office is known for. The Jim and Pam stuff makes me feel really cringy. It's hard to watch because it gets a it moves a little bit out of the lane of just silly fun that I expect for and want from the office. 
So it's a little difficult, but I'm going to power through. Like I said, I had hoped to finish it before we sat down to record. And then I was like, oh, wait, I forgot. This is actually like several hours and hours worth of TV watching. So last season of The Office, season nine, I'm in it. I would love to know if any other awesomes are like me and just like, just sort of never finished it. I would love to be find someone to have solidarity with on that. Oh, that's awesome. No, I definitely loved The Office. I am not one of those that has rewatched or watch it on the regular. I know that that seems to be one of those types of shows that people go to. They're like bored on a Friday night. They want to watch something quick before bed. They turn on an episode of The Office. I've only ever seen it all once. So I hardly even remember the things that you're talking about. Like You're like triggering these like memories in me as I'm listening. Well, here's what's interesting. The podcast, I Hate It But I Love It, which I've mentioned, they were an awesome the week of mine sometime back. They just did an episode on The Office. Sometimes they do movies Most of the time they do movies, but sometimes they'll do a series. And so they were talking about this very thing that so many people love to go back and rewatch, rewatch, rewatch The Office. It's like their anxiety calmer. Like if they're worked up about something or if they just want to have background noise on, they'll put it on The Office. And people have suggested that it's because there's so much sameness, like literally the environments that they're filming in, it's almost always in the actual office. Now, of course, there's, you know, they go out and they do sales calls and go on trips and whatever. So there is a little bit of variation, but there is so much predictability of being in that set for the office. It triggers something in our human psyche of like, okay, the world may be crazy around me, but at least I know what's going to happen here. (laughs) So yeah, that's an interesting interesting commentary on it. So anyway, like I said, season nine of the office was something I have been indulging in lately. Yeah. What is next on your list? Next for me is you season two on Netflix. This was an awesome of the week for me exactly a year ago in episode 183. Oh my goodness. It is not my usual show. It's a suspense thriller with like a slight romantic twist to it. But I got sucked into this show a year ago because it stars Penn Badgley, who played Dan Humphrey in Gossip Girl. And longtime listeners of Sort of Awesome know I adore Gossip Girl. I was obsessed with that show. So Netflix kept showing me, hey, you might want to watch you. And I was like, this looks creepy and scary. Oh, but it's Dan from Gossip Girl. And so I tried it and I was hooked. But yet it's so dark and creepy. Yeah. So in season one, we're introduced to Joe, played by Penn, as he stalks and falls in love with a girl named Beck. And eventually, Joe's desperate need for Beck's love pushes him to do some dark things. In season two, Joe has moved to Los Angeles to get a fresh start. But once again, he finds a woman to obsess over, and her name is Love. Now, a big difference between season one and season two is that season one, Joe seems to be the craziest and most damaged person in the room, okay. in any room at any moment in time. Sure. But in season two, we see him developing relationships and friendships with other people who are also deeply damaged in some kind of way. Oh, interesting. Also in season two, we learn more about Joe's childhood trauma that has turned him into the psychopath that he is today. Oh. So it was really very fascinating Getting into maybe some light spoilers, if you truly have never seen anything about this show, I would say a big reason for this show's success is that Joe's inner dialogue narrates the entire show. We can hear his thoughts in every single scene, 
and how he is justifying his darkest behaviors, including murder, which is why I think I enjoy the show so much, despite how twisted it is. You know, Joe's only doing bad things for good reasons, like to protect the ones he loves and to keep those people loving him. Yikes. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty twisted. But being able to hear his thoughts, it almost justifies it. I mean, totally, of course not. But one interesting thing, I watched an interview with Penn Badgley on a late night talk show. And he said in this interview that the audience, we want to root for him because he checks a lot of the right boxes. He's attractive. He's white. He's a man of privilege. Therefore, the audience is much more forgiving and rooting for him versus if his character was someone who didn't check all those boxes. So I think there's some really interesting commentary on our society today. Yeah. Why the audience still is a fan of Joe. Fascinating. Now, the big spoiler, if you have not watched season two and you plan to, you must absolutely must skip ahead. Here we go. The biggest twist of the season is when we discover that Joe's girlfriend, Love, is also a murderer. Ooh. (sighs) Yes. So I am still wrapping my brain around this twist. Uh If anything, I feel like it maybe has created a level of distrust with me with the show. Because before, if someone was killed, it was happening because of Joe. Now it feels like it could be happening because of anybody. And perhaps Love is even going to try to kill Joe in season three. I don't know. Whoa. I mean, it just has opened the door to all kinds of murdering possibilities. <laughs> the possibilities. Why am I watching the show? Are wide open. Yes, I know. So I watched a video on YouTube that I'll link in the show notes. Yeah. That suggests that Love even killed her husband. Ooh. So she's a young widow and her husband died from a mysterious illness. And the theory in this video suggests that Love poisoned her husband after he refused to have children with her. And Love's desperation for a new healthy family pushed her to kill her husband since he wasn't willing to give that to her. So who knows what is up ahead in season three? Ah, oh, it's such a good, awful show. (laughs) Sometimes that's the best kind, especially when you are sick and you're not going anywhere and you just want to tune into something and just escape. Yeah, I love that. Okay, the next one on my list, I don't want to spend a ton of time on because it's not something I would call like a must watch. To me, it's one of those movies and it's streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you have an evening, maybe where you're just like, should we watch something? And you're kind of flipping through and you see that it's on Prime or maybe, you know, a Sunday afternoon when you're just wanting to chill out. It's a good watch, especially if you enjoy the trope, the movie trope or a pop culture trope, I guess I should say more broadly speaking of ragtag team of misfits comes together and wins the thing. Okay. That is the category for this movie. The movie is called Troop Zero. Have you seen it? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. It's weird because it's a prime original and they usually put a lot of money and marketing into getting their titles out there because they're not like Netflix. They don't have a ton, a ton, a ton of original programming. But I feel like they're not really buzzing about this one as much. And maybe because it's one of those movies, it's just like, oh, that was a cute movie. But it's not like people aren't like pulling their friends aside and being like, you have to watch this. So the setup for Troop Zero is it takes place in Georgia in 1977. It centers around a character whose name is Christmas. Christmas Flint is her name. 
I think she's like in fifth or sixth grade, like middle schoolish age. Her mother has recently passed away. So it's just her and her dad, who's played by Jim Gaffigan. His name is Bossman. And he's an attorney. <laughs> he's Jim Gaffigan. Bless him for trying, for attempting a Georgia accent. It's a thing to behold. I don't know that he quite nails it, but he sure tries. But he's an attorney who's kind of like huh, always down on his luck. People in the town don't pay him for his services, and but he just has this like really try hard spirit. Anyway, Christmas is obsessed with space. It is something that her mom was also um, really passionate about, and it just kind of helps her have that connection to her mother. So she hears that there is going to be a talent contest for birdie scouts which is a fictionalization of like Girl Scouts, okay. but they call them sure. Birdie Scouts. So they're holding this little talent show. The winners will be able to to make an audio recording that's going to be shot into space by NASA. Lots of people are getting to add tracks to this record. And this includes Birdie Scouts of Georgia. And so Christmas is like, I got to get my voice on that record. It's going into space. This is my chance. Well, she's a very awkward little girl and kind of a social outcast, but also really charming and so endearing because she's sort of aware of her awkwardness, but she's not sad about it. She's just fully embodies who she is. So she kind of gets together a group of kids from her community who are also the social outcasts for a variety of reasons. They talk the woman who is like the sort of paralegal for her dad. Her name's Miss Raylene. She's played Viola Davis, and she's a fantastic actress who does a great job in this. But they talk her into being the troop mom, and they make a run at trying to win this talent show. The reason it's called Troop Zero is because when they finally get organized and go in to see the very hoity-toity woman who's in charge of all of the birdie scouts, and they're like, we want to form a troop. She's like, well, every single one of our numbers are taken except for zero. And so they become Troop Zero. So along the way, each of them have to earn a badge so they have to discover what their talent is. I mean, Rebecca, I watched this movie with AJ when she and I were enduring flu round two. She was home. I was like, let's give this a try. It's so predictable. Like if you have seen one of these, like I said, the misfits get together and win the thing movie, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, I bet I know what's going to happen next. And she was like, AJ was like, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how cute. Oh, child, I've seen a few movies in my life. But it has a very pleasant, uh, there's a surprise at the end, a thing I did not see coming, but AJ and I were both really like shocked almost that they included the scene towards the end. But then it has a very pleasant and very touching, heartwarming ending. She and I were both a little tearful at the end in a good way. So anyway, Troop Zero, like if you liked movies like The Bad News Bears or that major league movie that came out in the 90s, Troop Beverly Hills, any movie like that where it's like, will they be able to succeed? Yes, they triumph in the end. Just a little feel-good movie. It's Troop Zero on Amazon Prime. And family-friendly, you would say? Um, Or kind of borderline? I think probably, I feel like older elementary or middle school and up. There's, okay. you know, nothing really bad, but I do think there's probably some language here and there that okay. you may not want your younger kids. And I think younger kids would not really get the nuance of what's happening in the social dynamics. Sure. There, so, um, but I think definitely like middle school and up for okay. sure. Well, my next show is called The Circle. It is on Netflix. This is a reality competition show, a Netflix original. And I first heard about this from the podcast, Rob Has a Podcast. That is where I listen to all of my big brother commentary. 
and they did an episode about why Big Brother fans should watch The Circle. And so when I got sick, I was like, okay, here we go. I'm definitely going to give this a try. Yeah. So this is actually a UK-based reality TV yes. competition show. They did two seasons in the UK, and this is the first time with an American cast. And as I said, it's like a Netflix original, went straight to Netflix, not on broadcast television. It was released in January. There's 12 episodes, and they're one hour each. So this is how the competition show works. They have all these contestants who are living in an apartment building. They each have their own apartment, and they cannot see each other. It is 100% social media style communication. So they set up a profile with profile pictures. They can send text messages. There's group chats. It's all done on the circle. It's kind of as if the only way they communicate with each other is Facebook, but their platform is the circle. So since no one can see each other, they have the option to present themselves as themselves or a catfish. They can pretend to be somebody else. And then what they need to do is on a regular basis, they are ranking all of the contestants that are on the show. And they're saying who they like the most versus who they like the least. And then based off of those rankings, the top people have the opportunity to kick somebody out of the circle. And then at the end, somebody wins a whole bunch of money. So before the person who is kicked out leaves, they have the chance to see somebody face to face. They can pick any one contestant to go knock on their apartment door and actually see them and meet them and have a private conversation. And I would say that that is one of the most engaging aspects of the show is seeing when people are meeting each other and are they who they were saying that they were or not. So it's a very lighthearted and fun show that I couldn't stop watching because the catfish situations really kept my interest. But now here's the spoiler section. I will say, real talk, this show is very shallow. (laughs) So everybody (laughs) pretends to be single, whether they are or not. And everybody is flirting with everyone. And there is very few moments where people are actually talking to each other about real things like what's your family life like what kind of job do you have where are you from okay it was all kind of like hey so and so how did you feel about the rankings last night that was crazy right yeah man that sure was crazy i guess i'm just really surprised well i just want you to know that you can talk to me anytime oh thanks i really appreciate that now i feel this connection to you but we've said nothing to each other. (laughs) Oh, that's kind of a bummer. It is a bummer. I would say that the strategy was like almost non-existent. There was like no alliances. And when they did the rankings, it seemed like it was based truly on like who they felt like they connected to the most and not necessarily who would take them the furthest. Does that make sense? And and there wasn't like whole focus the entire time was, so-and-so isn't who they say they are. So-and-so must be a catfish. And less about like, well, despite, like, even if I suspect so-and-so is a catfish, like, does it really matter? Like, who's going to get me to the money? Like, there wasn't that kind of talk. Right. So. Interesting. But my favorite moment of the show was when there was two men who were like catfishes. They went on a virtual date together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So one Mm -hmm. man was pretending to be a young woman named Rebecca, 
And the other was a 30-something married man pretending to be a young hunk, which he was not like a hunk. (laughs) Okay. And so these two are on this virtual date together awkwardly trying to flirt with each other through text message. It was, I mean, the whole thing was just hilarious. It was just so funny and so just out there that it really did keep my attention. But I would say if this show continues, I think more strategy is going to come into play. Like it has to, like people can't watch this show and think, well, I'm just going to go and be nice. Like it just doesn't work that way. Like there was none of the big brother strategy, the survivor strategy. If it stays as lighthearted as it did in season one, then I don't know that I would watch season two. But season one was fun and perfect for my I'm sick in bed and can't get up like self. You know, like it did keep my attention. It was entertaining. I loved the catfishes meeting each other. But I really just missed the strategy. And I remember when you and Kara Pence did the deep dive into Big Brother for sort of awesome a while back that that you guys really talked about like the strategy and like how you play the game is really the actual most interesting thing about Big Brother. So I can see how it'd be a huge bummer if that's the level of competition and thought and energy that you're used to. And here these people are just keeping it very surface level. I can see how it'd be like, Meh. yeah, I might be too advanced for this show. <laughs> you are way too advanced of a reality TV consumer. But you gave it a try. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one on my list, I just want to talk about briefly too. I just actually finished this last night. It is the brand new Netflix documentary on Taylor Swift called Miss Americana. And like I said, it just came out and I hadn't heard no buzz around this, but it was one of those Netflix suggestions. They were like, hey, you might like to see this. So I went into this. I don't have big feelings about Taylor Swift either way. I, there are some of her songs that I really like and I'll sing along with. I'm not a Swifty. I've not followed the whole trajectory of her career. I don't know her whole origin story except country music. And of course, the famous Kanye incident from 2009. Oh, yeah. That was a doozy. Um, at the VMAs. But I'm not like super invested in her. I just She's sort of on the pop culture periphery for me. Sure. Well, having that sort of, you know, unattached view... I really enjoyed this documentary a lot. It does track her through like the sort of 2018 era as people, she's starting to get a lot of pushback and a lot of people kind of like turning on her in the media, criticizing her, you know, all of a sudden she'd been this media darling and then it was like the tide kind of turned. And so the documentary crew did a great job of capturing in real time as that was all happening. It's directed by Lana Wilson. She's a woman who is making some really very interesting, very provocative documentaries. She made the very interesting production choice. She had an all-women staff and crew for this documentary, and all of the production assistants, like the people who bring you coffee and run your errands and stuff, were all men. Oh! (laughs) She just kind of wanted to flip the script a little bit and show that, hey, guys can fill those roles too, and I can hire girls and women to do these things over here that a lot of times men get these jobs. So... I thought that was a little fun fact that was very interesting. I will say this. this I'm of two minds about this movie because I do feel like Taylor Swift is very vulnerable in this documentary. She talks about having an eating disorder and what it's like to be in recovery from that and how when she sees pictures of herself, she's tempted to start thinking and obsessing about being fat and that she just has to really stay on top of her thinking about her body. She talks about the sexual harassment lawsuit that she ultimately won a couple of years back. 
she talks about just in general, people nitpicking and being so critical of her. There's a number of times when she cries, she lets the cameras film her as she's doing the actual songwriting process, which has always been very, very hush hush for her. But you see her actually working out the lyrics and working out the music. In one sense, it is very vulnerable, very real. There's times when she doesn't have any makeup on. She's just with her parents. At the same time, I cannot help but to think that, how can I say this? That she ultimately had some input and some say into like how this narrative arc was going to go. Because there's not a lot in this documentary. Documentaries, I think really well done ones, give you a sense of being really fair about the thing they're talking about, like trying to present both sides. This is pretty, puts Taylor Swift in a pretty golden light, which if you're a fan, I think you will absolutely love. If you have been critical of Taylor Swift, I think you'll give it some side eye because <laughs> it's pretty, I don't know, it just, it really shows, a, uh, even in her vulnerability, shows her being pretty great as a person. Do you know what I'm saying? There's an agenda. Yeah. There's an agenda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was fascinating to see this woman who's about to turn 30, who's really grown up in the spotlight. Again, in ways I do believe are very authentic and very real. Talk about some of her experiences and just going behind the scenes of anything. I'm always in for that. So anyway, it's called Miss Americana. It's on Netflix. And yeah, give it a watch. Check it out and let me know what you thought. Awesome. So now we have two shows that Meg and I have both watched that yes. we want to now just dish about a little bit now that we are both on the same page. The first one is Cheer the Netflix docuseries that was Meg's Awesome of the Week in episode 229, Awesome Hall of Fame. Yes. Now, yes. this was such a well-timed Awesome of the Week for me, Meg, because it was immediately after we stopped recording this most recent episode yes. together that I started to get a fever and sick. And so That's right. I decided, like, right before the episode even dropped and was released, I was like, well, I'm going to listen to Meg's Awesome of the Week because she did such a fantastic job selling cheer to Yay! me in that episode. Uh -huh. But the funny thing is, is when I first started to watch it, I had to stop because I was like too emotionally stressed out. And I cry when I watch people do really intense things. And I was like, no, no, I'm just I'm just going to cry this whole show. I can't watch it right now. So I <laughs> so I think I only watched like the first five minutes. And then I had to come back to it a few days later because I was too depleted. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. So what did you think? I'm dying to know. Okay. So this would be like a light spoiler section. If you haven't watched it, you guys, you have got to watch this docuseries about this cheat competition cheer team. It's really amazing. Go back and listen to Meg's Awesome of the Week for the full description in episode 229. But here, slight spoilers. I was so stressed out almost the entire time watching it. I mean, so it was stressful. so entertaining and so enjoyable, but so stressed out. I made a whole list. All I wrote in my notes was stress and then a list of like, <laughs> things that stressed me out. So all of the injuries, holy cow, all of the injuries. The injuries were the worst. If you've ever been in athletics, around athletics, you know that injuries are such a wild card. You'd never know who's going to get hurt at any time. In a lot of sports, they might have two or three people deep who can come in off of the roster come in and fill those spots. But that is not the case here. There's a limited number of people who can fulfill these roles. And as they're just getting picked off by injuries, it's so, so stressful. many injuries. And like sometimes yes. the camera would actually catch it right there and you see yes. the girl smack the mat. Oh my word. I was so stressed yeah. out. And then the idea of people making mats 
and like being so invested. So the, the docuseries follows some specific team members and does more of a deep dive into their life. And you get invested in these people and you just want them to make Matt so badly. And then I was so stressed out by all the people being switched in and out. I also was amazingly stressed out the entire time that this is a two-year college. That fact stressed me out so much because it's like they have so little experience. They only have, like the senior level members of the team have only one extra year of experience. And then the fact that this is a sport that like literally ends with college I was like the pressure, the pressure on these people to succeed and to go with all their might here at the end of their career was just so intense. And then, of course, the injury during the final competition. I was just, Meg, ah, it was so stressful, (laughs) but the best. So stressful. It's so, that's what makes it so. But the best. Yes. Yeah. That's what, it makes it so compulsively watchable because there is so much tension. And I think they did a fantastic job of isolating stories to sprinkle throughout. I mean, this is one of the best, just generally speaking, one of the best docuseries I've ever watched in the sense that you just, you can't stop watching it. You just have to keep hitting play and see them through to the end. Hands down. Completely agree. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I was, I was nervous. I was like, oh no, what if she hated it? But it's, I mean, I think- Oh no, it was amazing. Everybody needs yeah, to watch. people are loving it. The cast, it, which, I mean, they're real people. So it's not like a cast cast in the traditional sense, but they've been on Ellen. They're all over the place in the media. I actually, I don't really follow celebrities on Instagram. That's just not how I personally use Instagram. But I have followed Monica, the coach, and Jerry, and Morgan, and a couple of the other athletes, just because I just want to know what keeps happening in their lives. Are they so... going to be Okay. <laughs> Are you guys going to turn out okay? There's talk about, is there going to be a season two? It looks like it may be. There's a continuing story here for sure, but I'm so glad you liked it. Loved it so much. Okay. Before we wrap up, we have to talk about The Bachelor because in all reality, in real life, you and I have not really even talked about this season, which is unusual for us now that I am part of Bachelor Nation. This is a recent development in my life. Thanks to you, Rebecca. All right. Let's talk Pete, Peter Weber, The Bachelor. What do we think about him as the lead pick? You have years of experience. You have seen many a bachelor come and many a bachelor go. I would love to hear your thoughts. I have thoughts, but I would love to hear, what do you think about Pete as the bachelor? Okay, so I like him. He's a nice guy, but this man doesn't know what he wants. He's too Mm -hmm. much of a people pleaser. He's so wishy-washy. I need some Nick Vial to like rub off onto him. Like Nick, as soon as somebody was saying, I'm falling in love with you. And he's like, oh, like, because I think he knew early on who he was going for and who he was not. He's like, that's it. I'm cutting you loose. Like, you're taking this too far. I'm, there's no chance. But then with Peter, he's like, I want everybody to love me. I want to be liked by everybody. I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. I don't want to make any decisions that causes waves. And in fact, then he's just like causing all kinds of chaos. I know. Ah, well. I know you are a patron of the podcast as I am so that we can listen to their, to Knox and Jamie's um, Bachelor recaps. Yes. They have theorized and conjectured that Peter's an Enneagram 9. Uh-huh. I'm in the comments. I'm literally in the comments on their Patreon post. Like, yes, I can confirm Peter's definitely an unhealthy 9. He's in a really stressful situation right now. I wasn't going to so, mention him being a 9, knowing that you oh, are. I'll let you bring I, that up. 
I think every single nine is like, yes, we know it's not going to hurt our feelings. You don't have to tell us. We know this is what nines do when we're under stress. He's cannot make a decision. He second guesses his decisions. That's a huge nine thing because we don't know what we're feeling in the moment. And then there's this pressure we have to decide. We want everyone to stay. Can't everyone stay? This is the worst. This is a nightmare for an Enneagram nine for sure. I liked Peter as um, a final four on Hannah Brown's season. I thought he was so charming and just darling and, and seemed like he had a great personality and seemed to really deeply care for Hannah. Bless his heart. This was a terrible thing for him to do to himself. So anyway, those are my thoughts. He is definitely an Enneagram nine. And so there's parts of me that are just cringing so hard because it's like that, like I see, I know why you're doing this, bro. Uh-huh. And it's so hard to it's watch. Painful. I hate it. It's painful. Now, I know we're running really short on time here. So let's just say who our predictions are for the final rows. Like, who's going to take it to the end? Now, I will say that as we are recording this, we're recording this on a Monday night. So right now, there are one, two, three, four, five, six girls left. But that's already going to be outdated by the time that this drops on Friday. Yes, that's true. So we might get our predictions eliminated tonight. (laughs) But... Meg, who do you think? Who does he have the strongest connection with? Who's he going to take all the way to the end? I think if he does propose at the end, some seasons I'm spoiled. I'm not spoiled on this. I don't know what happens at the end. I honestly could see him not proposing because he's literally still so in love with Hannah B is what I think could happen. That is my theory as well. I don't want a spoiler. Don't you dare send me a spoiler. You send me a spoiler. No, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the awesome. You send me a spoiler. I'm blocking you like from my life forever. Don't send me a spoiler. But I am cheering for him and Hannah. And the reason why is because I have not seen a match to the chemistry level that he has with her at all. In those first two episodes of the season when she made an appearance, The chemistry was so intense. And this is my biggest tell. This is why I'm the most suspicious that they actually are going to get together in the end is because when he pulled away from her in that episode two and was like, I can't like I can't do this. He does an in the moment interview then a little bit later and he says, yeah, I wanted to kiss her, but like, I just can't do that. And he kind of gives like this like he kind of wraps things up. He's like, I need to move forward. It's not fair to the girls. He presents this like wrapped up version of what happened. You know who we don't hear from? We don't hear a lick from Hannah Brown. She doesn't do any final like in the moment interview. She doesn't give any sort of like, yes, we made the right decision or my feelings for him are strong, but they're in the past. Like she doesn't give any of that. That door was not shut by her. And I'm crossing my fingers for those two. I really am. Yeah, me too. So anyway, I don't know that he is going to propose. If he does, I do feel like it could be Madison. It seems like she is the one girl on this cast that he has a connection with. I can see by your face that you're not into it. Well, yeah, I'm not into it either. But just by what I'm seeing, yes, I can see it going that direction. I think the relationship is very boring. And for some reason, Bachelor Nation is like a huge Madison fan. I found her one-on-one date with all of his family interactions to be so awkward that I was like not into it at all. But everyone on Twitter is like, skip the whole rest of the season let madison win and i was like really i don't i was too distracted by like all of his family being there for this first date it was just so awkward i'm not against madison i think she actually probably has a good chance of being the bachelorette yeah. oh interesting 
Okay, I because she's pretty young, right? Isn't she? They're, they're all young. <laughs> they're so young. So I was thinking for Bachelorette, if they pick someone from this cast, I know this is crazy, but maybe Kelsey? Kelsey? She's had a roller coaster what? of a season. No way. Sometimes she is so emotional and unreasonable. And other times she's completely like self-possessed and confident and assured of herself. I think she could be a very fascinating. She'd make good TV as a Bachelorette, well, I think. that's true. So. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, my goodness. Well, we had thoughts on TV, you guys. You know that we always love to hear. But as Rebecca said, just to confirm, don't send, don't send us any spoilers. Do not send us any spoilers. <laughs> but if you do have follow-up thoughts on this or anything else that you're watching that you think we need to check out, as we are obviously still battling through sickness season, please come find us on social media. Rebecca, where can we find you all around the web? Well, you can find my blog at simplyrebecca.com and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at simplyrebecca. Okay, you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can find us on Facebook anytime at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 